Welcome to Life Church. My name is Dylan Johnston, and I am one of the pastors here on staff. It is so good to be with you today. At the conclusion of our message, we're going to be partaking in communion together. So uh, right now, if you want to, you can go ahead and gather those uh, things that you'll be utilizing to take communion with us. Whatever you have around the house is perfectly fine. Uh, just, just get that together right now and, and so that you're ready at the end of today's message. Well, today we are starting a brand new series titled The Death of Me. The death of me. And we're going to be walking through a few chapters in Romans over the next several weeks, looking at how our relationship with God really is an end of our old self. Even today, you will note that in our message that we specifically discuss here in these next few moments, um, that is one of the key factors of this message. So we're going to, over the next several weeks, be walking through Romans 6, 7, and 8 and going over this this theme, this series, the death of me. Uh, Today in particular, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, so if you want to turn in your Bibles or on your smartphones over to Romans chapter 6, you can do so. I want to thank Pastor Aaron for giving me the opportunity to speak today. In fact, this is my first time back preaching on a weekend since we had our baby. Uh, just two weeks ago or so, uh, my, my wife gave birth to our newborn baby boy, six pounds, 10.9 ounces, 20 inches long, and, uh, and, and just absolutely insane, right? Uh, what I've learned is no one really prepares you for what being a parent is like. Um, you, you, you have birthing classes, you, you have books you can read, you can Google stuff, but, but I promise you I've never Googled more things about one specific subject than I have in the last few weeks if I tr- as I've tried to determine if what's happening with this little human thing is normal or not. It, it, it's, it's like with, with diaper changes, you, you change a diaper, then you feed them, then you change another diaper, and it's a never-ending cycle of diaper feed, diaper feed, diaper feed. They wake you up in the middle of the night crying. They do this weird thing where when they're sleeping, their eyes roll in the back of their head, and you can see it. You, you, you begin to ask why they do this or why they do that, and then you have to Google what's a jaundice. Like, who even knows what jaundice is? And there's all of these things piling up, and it can get to a point where it could be overwhelming. And, and, and I'm just here to say today... Um, right off the bat, that as a, a parent of a newborn, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Like, uh, there, there's things about this that are, are new every day. There's, there's things about this that as soon as I think I've got something under control, that, that it all just falls apart again. The struggle is real. And today, you may be uh, in this service, and you may be ha- walking through a struggle in your life. There may be something you've been dealing with, or wrestling with, or trying to overcome, or trying to fix, and just when it seems like you've got one thing taken care of, everything else begins to unravel. Maybe for you, it's in your family, or in a relationship. Maybe for you, it's your finances, or a career. Maybe for you, it's your, 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 your kids, and, and how to deal with them. I don't know what the struggle is you're walking through, but I do know very well that the struggle is real. 
In fact, I know one struggle that you and I will have uh, for, for all of our lives, even till the very end of our lives, um, the, the very moment that we pass from this life on to the next one is when we uh, have, have finished this struggle out. But, but while we're here on this earth, we, we have this struggle with, with sin, this struggle to overcome sin, that, that daily we will be tempted to sin, and we have to decide within ourselves how this struggle will play out. Even the most holy, righteous, revered people that you look up to and you say, that is the person I want my life to be modeled after, has struggled with sin. And yet, if we believe what we believe as Christians, though we struggle with sin, we can have victory through Jesus. If you're taking notes today, write that down. Though you struggle with sin, you can have victory through Jesus. And that's what the writer of Romans chapter 6 shows us. He shows us that, yes, the struggle is real, but there is victory in Jesus. I just want to read this, and, and we'll break it up, and then pull a point from each little part of this passage that I believe applies directly to our lives, that this writer was writing to a group of Roman Christians, um, and, and he was challenging them in, 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 to take steps to continue to overcome sin in their lives. Romans chapter 6, uh, we're going to begin in verse 3 today. He, he writes this, Or don't you know? that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, he will certainly also be united, we, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I know that as we read through the book uh, of Romans and the chapters of Romans, especially today in Romans chapter 6, that the, the wording of the text can get a little confusing as it continues to present a dichotomy of the old way of living and the new way of living and our old selves and our new selves and the way under sin and the way under Christ. But I just want to help us as we go along. I, I'll pull a few points as we go through to help it make a little more sense and maybe to clarify just a little bit. But right Right there in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, we see our very first step in having victory through Jesus is to unite with Christ. Realize that you have been united with Christ. This is essentially a location change in your life. You are now connected to Jesus. It's, it's the same mindset that Paul uses when he's writing to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives and resides and exists within us. We have been united, connected. We are no longer individuals, but we are one. We are united. And th this isn't like a, uh, a three-legged race, mind you, where we do equal work. I think sometimes we look at God and we invite him into our lives and we, we do this journey of following Jesus and yet it's kind of a three-legged race where we do our part and we expect Jesus to do his part and we're just going to keep it that way. No, 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 no. A three-legged race with Jesus, much more so, goes like you barely being able to keep up your end of the bargain. The over-competitive father who can outrun you by miles, picks you up, does the heavy lifting, and gets you to the finish line whether you like it or not. You just have to choose to be along for the ride. You see, Jesus does the heavy lifting. 
We've been united with Christ. And yet in this unity with Christ, the beautiful thing of it is we receive all of his blessings and all of his benefits because he took all of our pain, all of our shame, and all of our guilt. This is a beautiful exchange. It's, it's one of the greatest transactions. No, no, no. It is the greatest transaction in human history that we re- re- were relieved of all of our sin and shame and we received all of his blessings, all of his grace, and all of his mercy. That is the transaction in this unity. It's the beautiful exchange. It's this concept that you can see that, uh, that, 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 that we are united. It's, it's you see that Jesus goes to the cross and he did the heavy lifting through his death and burial and resurrection. There you are united with Christ. It's like getting the best player on the team. Uh, that They're going to do all the heavy lifting. You just have to show up. You just have to play your part. You just have to do what he says. You, you just have to be in the mode. You just have to keep your head in the game. You, you just have to be there. But he's going to do the hard stuff if you're there, we've been united with Christ. The verse continues in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, and it challenges us to take the next step in living victoriously over sin after being united with Christ. And it reads like this, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Number two today, resolve in your mind that the old you is gone. Resolve in your mind that the old you is gone. Essentially, this is you taking a full 180 in your life. It's you uniting with Jesus, and then you're you're not going to go back to where you have been, but you're moving forward. You're not going to stay in the past, but you're moving towards the future. It's, It's this union with Christ and the old dust no longer exists. I think so often we, we unite ourselves with Christ and yet there's still stuff in our lives that we want to play an intricate part in who we are. And yet when you unite yourself with Christ, what you are essentially doing is saying, I'm no longer over here, but now I'm moving over here. It's like going to a wedding, which I'll be doing in just a few days here. I'll be officiating a wedding, and the the groom will have already walked down the aisle, and he'll be standing up at the front of the room with me, and then later the bride will come walking down the aisle. They will come down separate. They will, in this ceremony, unite together, and then they will leave together. And the old them is no longer. The old them no longer exists. Leaving their their clothes here in the house or uh, leaving the dishes in the sink unwashed no longer exists unless you really want to fight, man. The old them is gone. It's now a new them. And this isn't just forsaking who you are or who you were created to be. In fact, this is like a a level up, if you will. This is a, a new page. This is a new chapter. This is a new book in your life. Realize, resolve in your mind that the old you was gone. Resolve that you are no longer your own, but now you are united with Christ. It's no longer what I want anymore. It's no longer me and my own. It's me depending on him and him alone. It's me, as Pastor Aaron so often says, leaning so heavily, having, leaning so much and so heavenly upon the word of God that if it were to move, I would fall. It's, it's me trusting so deeply in who he is that if, if I were to do anything in my own strength, I would fail. That's the unity this is speaking of. The verse continues and it 
even takes it further. It describes that not only is it getting rid of your old self, but it also describes life in Christ juxtaposed to uh, being dead in sin. And in verse 7, it continues saying, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Point number three today, reckon yourself dead to sin. If you want to overcome the struggles in your life that are ever so real, if you want to have victory in Jesus, you have to reckon yourself dead to sin. This is a mindset and a position change. Listen, this passage uses some pretty gruesome and intense verbiage. It, it gets pretty, gru- it, it speaks of death, it speaks of crucifixion, it speaks of killing the old self, it speaks of putting to death your old ways, it speaks of being crucified with Christ, it speaks of being dead in your old ways, and, and, and yet it does this so to communicate to you that this is not just a casual turning. This is not just a casual moving from one thing to the next. This is an entire lifestyle shift. This is an entire change in who you are. It's there to describe the staunch differences between our lives with Jesus and our lives without him. Thus, the writer gives us this description that living in sin is a dead Life. It states that if we are united with Christ, then not only do we get rid of the old, we literally consider it no longer an option. It's not to say that temptation won't come our way, but it's to say that we don't have it on the menu any longer. It's to say that we don't want it any, it's not something that we search for, it's not something that we look for, it's not something that we dwell upon, it's not something that our minds are fixed on. In fact, in, in the New Testament, a writer in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 writes this about where our minds should be fixed on. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Listen, reckon yourself dead to sin. It cannot be what you go back to any longer. We all know that one person that continues to go back to the same way of life that has so crippled them over several, several years. Refuse to go back any longer. The verse continues and it challenges us to even take a further step. In verse 12 it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather... Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Point number four today is refuse to offer your body to sin. And I know that point number four and point number three sound very connected because they are. Because one is a mindset change. You got to reckon yourself dead to it. And then you can't go back to it. You have to refuse to go back. It's the action point. You have to refuse to enter into it again. You have to make the decision long before you ever make the decision. I know that can sound confusing, but if you wait to make the decision not to sin until you get in the moment when you're confronted with sin, you're probably going to sin. If you wait to make the decision 
as to how you're going to uh, do this or do that in your life until you get in the moment, you're probably going to make a decision that you may regret in the long run. Regarding your finances, if you wait to decide how much you're going to spend and budget for a certain category of lifestyle that you have, and you wait and just let the month play out, probably at the end of the month you'll look back and realize you spent way too much money in that area. The same is with sin. If we wait to decide whether or not we will participate in offering our bodies to sin, as the scripture says, when the moment arrives, then when the moment arrives, we probably will. You have to make the decision long before you ever make the decision. You have to make the decision about what's priority in your life long before you get to the moment where you are faced to really wrestle with this idea of what matters most to you. Notice how these are building blocks that stack upon each other. You be united with Christ. You consider the old you is gone. You get to the point where sin in your mindset is no longer an option. It really isn't something that you consider any longer, and then you refuse to go back to it. You refuse to go sin again. You, you refuse to go back to your old ways. You refuse to do that and participate in your old way of life. It's action. It's not just kicking the mindset of sin. It's kicking the actions. It's your selfishness, your gossip, your addiction, your lust. It doesn't rule you any longer. Thus, you don't have to bow to it. You see, being united with Christ, it's not just about changing your behavior, it's changing your heart. It's not just about changing the fruit, it's about changing the root of your heart. But if we can change our hearts, if we can change the root of our life, then the fruit, that which we produce, will also equally consistently be changed. So when we're united with Christ, it should lead to changes in our mindsets and behaviors. And so I love that this author doesn't come straight out and say, change your behaviors. No, no, no. He says, change your heart. And as your heart begins to change, your mindset begins to change. And as your mindset begins to change, your behaviors begin to change. But it's a journey and it's a stepped process that you unite with Christ. You consider no longer going back to the old ways. It, it doesn't exist any longer. You, you broke off from it entirely. You, you reckon yourself dead to sin and then you refuse to offer your body to sin. The question, will you mess up, always arises in a message like this, and the answer is indefinitely yes. Forever we will fall short. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the writer writes, this writer, the same writer as this passage that we're walking through, says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning we've all aimed at the target of perfection and we've all missed high or low or left or right. We, we've all tried to aim that, at that target and we've all missed and yet Jesus, he himself, is the only one who successfully hit the target. But Proverbs in the Old Testament, one of the wisest men's to, men to ever live, penned this phrase that though the righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. And he doesn't just get back up by his own strength, but he gets back up by the grace of God, which is what we see here as we continue in this passage, as we conclude with the final verse. In verse 14, it says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So point number five today, rejoice in the fact that you are under grace. Rejoice in the fact that you are under grace. 
That should bring you great hope. That should bring you great joy. For it's not by your own might, it's not by your own power, it's not by your own strength that you brought yourself out of the mess that you found yourself in. It's not by your own ways that you overcame the struggle that is so very real in your life. No, it's but by the grace of God that you are here today. It's but by the grace of God that you were tuned into this message. It's but by the grace of God that you have victory over sin. And it's but by the grace of God that you have a tomorrow. It's but by the grace of God. So rejoice. Rejoice in the fact that you are under the grace of God. For this is ultimately what Jesus provides. The people that this passage was initially written to, they would have, they, they, they would have been adhering to uh, hundreds upon hundreds of laws. In the Old Testament, the, the first half of the Bible, it was before Jesus came to this earth, there were hundreds upon hundreds of laws. Laws about what you could eat, when you could eat, and how you could eat it. Where to worship, when to worship, and how to worship. Laws about what you could cut your hair with, if you could get tattoos. Laws about when you could do what in your neighborhood. Laws about property lines, and if your ox goes in into this into your neighbor's land what to do then there were so many laws it was impossible to keep up with in fact many scholars believe that the law was uh, invented not for people to try to be perfect for they never could but the law God established it so that humans humanity mankind would constantly see their need for someone greater as they continue to fail to meet the law of the day, they would consistently and constantly see that there is something missing in their lives and they need someone greater. They would go sacrifice to cover their sins. They would go sacrifice day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. They would go to the priest and the priest would pray on their behalf that they would be forgiven. And yet all of that was to show that we need someone greater. And friends, here today, you and I, we have someone who was greater than you and I, who lived a life you and I can never live to pay a price you can never, and I can never pay by dying a death that you and I could never die. And his name is Jesus. We have a hope. We have a savior. We have have one who brings grace in his name is Jesus. Aren't you glad that we are not under the law of old, but we are under grace, that we can mess up and yet still have grace. And this is not some cookie cutter, uh, pasty cream, gospel uh, cupcake message where you feel good and it feels great and you leave here and do whatever you want. No, that's not what being under grace means. Being under grace means you come underneath the umbrella of God that you unite yourself with him. You continue to take steps towards growing closer to him and aligning your life with him. And as you do, you'll probably accidentally take a wrong turn. You'll probably slip into a ditch. You'll probably mess up or get a hitch in your ride every now and then. And yet when you do, as you continue to pursue Jesus, there is grace. And I love that because it's not just a free ride to do whatever we want. But there's this alleviated pressure in our lives. There's a weight that's lifted off of us that says, I see you, I know you, and I forgive you, regardless of where you've been or what you've done. This is the grace that you and I receive. There is forgiveness and there is mercy and there is grace. Today, you may be in this service listening to this message or watching this, and you may have come here struggling. 
Perhaps you've been attempting to earn your salvation or you, through righteousness, and perhaps you've uh, continued to trust in yourself, or you've uh, had circumstances that were outside of your control. I, I don't know where you came from today, but the struggle in your life is so very real, and there's several steps I've encouraged you to take today, but the very first one, the most important one, in my opinion, is to be united with Christ. And today, you may not have made that decision to unite yourself with Christ as of yet, and I want to give you that opportunity. As we close today, I'm going to, in just a moment, pray over you, and as I do, I want you to make that decision wherever you find yourself today to follow and to unite your life with Jesus. We have something that we call the Next Steps card or Next Steps form, and we encourage you to fill it out if you make this decision to unite your life with Christ. We want to help you take these next steps that we've talked about today so that you continue to pursue Jesus, that you continue to walk closer, and that you can live victoriously over sin. But the first step, the very first step today is to unite your life with Christ. Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as I pray this prayer right where you are, I encourage you, make that decision to unite your life with Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you today that though we can never be perfect and we can never adhere to the law that was established of old, you have given us grace to live brand new. I thank you today that you have given us a new way of life. I thank you today that we can be united with Christ and we can have a life brand new, that you have provided a way that we can live victoriously over sin. And today I choose that life for myself. And I pray that many of us listening to and watching this message would choose that life as well. We surrender our old, we step into the new. We ask that you would be Lord and, Lord and Savior of our lives. We give everything to you. We celebrate you, we lift you up, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, as we conclude our message, we're going to take communion that I mentioned at the top of the message. And uh, in, in the New Testament, Jesus kind of institutes this process. And here at Life Church, we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of Life Church to participate in communion. But we just ask that you have point number one done, that you are united with Christ, that you are a member of the body of Jesus, that you are part of that, man. And so as you partake today and as we partake together, what we're doing is we're celebrating the life and death of Jesus. That's literally what he says that this is symbolic of and reminds us of every time we partake of it. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes to, uh, writes to a church and he's encouraging them to keep this established in, in a consistent manner in their meetings and in their gatherings. And this is what Paul writes. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take the bread? today. The verse continues, and it says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you take the cup today? The verse concludes in verse 26, and it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Listen, this today is what all of we've been talking about is, is, is really truly about. This, this communion concept of Jesus giving his life and, and shedding his blood for you and for me is really what this whole thing boils down to. That if, if we are ever going to be victorious over sin, then we must lift Jesus high and surrender our lives to him. And that's only possible through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Today, I want to pray one final prayer. When I say amen, we're going to take a moment and worship and celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. Lord, we thank you that you died for us, that you took our place, our shame, our guilt, our sin, our pain. Lord, we thank you and we're so grateful that you chose to love us before we ever had the opportunity of choosing you. We're so grateful and honored that we can be forgiven of our sin and our wrongs. We're so grateful and, and, and just truly blessed that we can have this opportunity to have a relationship with you. So God, today we celebrate you. We give you glory, we lift you high, we, we give you all honor and glory and praise, and we, we, we lift your name up, we, we, we worship you today, and we, we, we give it all to you in Jesus' name, amen.